2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then in Hebrews we read, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Thanks be to God for his word. So, okay, we're talking about words this morning, and uh, words are important, are they not? Yeah, I think we'd all agree words are important, aren't they? Whether written or spoken, they are overwhelmingly the way in which we communicate as people, the way we understand concepts, explain ourselves, share our thoughts and feelings, and generally get by in life. We wouldn't get very far without words. And we use words every day. Everyday words shape who we are and they shape the world around us too. Now I say uh, words shape our worlds. Uh, a little while ago, I came across on the internet, you can tell where this is going, uh, a post which gave a glimpse of what the world would be like, okay, you ready for this? What the world would be like if the person who named the walkie-talkie named other things as well. Words are important. Think about that for a second. Okay? The walkie-talkie, first invented in 1937. No point in saying that. It's a useless pub quiz thing if you want to know it. But obviously its name is a very literal description of what you do with the item in question. You walk and you talk. So here's a few others that someone came up with. First of all, what about a stamp? What might they have called that? Well, of course, a stamp would be a sticky licky. Well, who got there before me? So, yeah, well done. Oh, well, a licky sticky, okay? Uh, not God's powerful word. There you go, licky sticky. <laughs> Bumblebees? Fuzzy Buzzy, Forks, that would be a Stabby Grabby, 
<laughs> Sorry? Unless there were four. What, because of four candles or something? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Um, socks. That would be feety heaty. Pregnancy test. That, of course, is <laughs> dangerous ground. <laughs> yeah. Maybe baby is the answer to that one. Uh, nightmares. That, of course, is screamy dreamy. And, of course, defibrillators, anyone? That's hearty starty. Yes. Now, of course, <laughs> silliness aside, um, we, we do know how powerful words can be, don't we? We do know that. The age-old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. Utter rubbish. Of course it is. Words are extremely powerful. Uh, by them, greetings are made, wars are started, uh, love is kindled, agreements are undertaken, information is learnt, and quite literally, they can change the whole course of history itself. And that's why it's important for us in this foundation series that we look at God's Word and with what He has communicated to us and how He does it. In fact, it's really important because it's the primary reason we know anything about any of the things we're talking about in this series at all. It's how we know about God himself. Not just our own best guess, but through the words he has given us in, in the Bible. And in fact, if we're to know anything conclusive about him, anything about any of these topics, about his salvation, about who he is, who we are in fact... We need something concrete that we can go on, which is the Word of God. Of course, God in his infinite wisdom, in knowing all that he knows, he would know that we would need something more, something in black and white. And so he gave us the very means to discover all of these things. He gave us the Bible. And here's how the statement of faith puts it, we believe in. It says, the divine inspiration and supreme authority of the Old and New Testament scriptures, which are the written word of God, fully trustworthy for faith and conduct. In fact, if you think back to last week, we kind of already began this topic when we looked at the all-powerful God of creation. We came across those words which I may have deliberately read earlier on as a reminder, but Psalm 33 verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Last week feeds into this week as we think about it. Because we see in creation that God's words are vastly powerful. He spoke and the whole universe came into existence. The entirety of it, just by a word. He is powerful beyond measure and a word from him, everything is made. We're told in Genesis 2 that he simply breathed the breath of life into Adam, the first human being. His breath has power to do that. 
And so when we're talking about the Bible and the, and the Word of God, we're not just talking about any other book. Words have power to move us. How much more powerful then should the Word of God Himself be to move us? Because they're God's words. And of course, therefore, how much more should we pay attention to them because they're God's words to what God himself has to say. Uh, so let's get into our handout this morning. You can follow it through if you like, if, if you want to. And uh, point one on God's powerful word is that all the Bible's words are God's words. Now, uh, what are we saying is the Bible? We're saying the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. There's 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. Uh, we haven't got much time to go into detail about why, for example, um, Catholic or Greek Orthodox Bibles have more included in them. Uh, things like you may have heard of the, the Apocrypha, for example. We've heard that word before. Um, the extra books in essence, providing a, a history of what happened between the Old and New Testaments. Um, Catholics and Greek Orthodox include those in what they call their Bible. The main reason that it's not included, in, is, that we don't include it in ours, is that the original Jewish Hebrew Old Testament did not include those books. Okay, so the 39 books in the Old Testament is the Old Testament. Uh, they didn't pass certain tests, they have less certain authenticity, and they contain teachings that just don't fit with the rest of the Bible. Uh, the Catholic Church felt they should be included. Protestants, on balance, did not, and tellingly the same decision was made in Jewish circles as to what constituted inspired Old Testament scripture. We believe in the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments as the inspired Word of God. And here's a little about the Bible's influence. Still today, still to this day, it is the world's best-selling book annually. Still to this day, far outstrips any other work in the world. Over 400 million copies are sold or distributed every single year. 400 million sold or distributed. And that's before you count like online downloads as well and things like that. It's now in over 2,500 languages. You only have to think along those things and think, gosh, this book, it's got real influence. It really makes a difference to people's lives, and people are longing to have the Word of God. The Bible is alive and well, even just in terms of its scope. And what we're saying is, is when we talk about the Bible as God's Word, is that title, all the Bible's words are God's words. I like that. That's was a, was a phrase that I've sort of reworked from something that Wayne Grudem in his, in his book Bible Doctrine wrote, one of the main sources I'm using in this series. And it is true, isn't it, that all of the Bible's words are the very words of God himself. We don't just believe that part of it is inspired, that we only have to listen to part of what the Bible says. It's all relevant. It's all from God. The fact of the matter is, is that if we 
maybe don't understand what it says in places, or if we don't like what it says in places, or we're struggling with it and struggling to grasp what it's really saying. The problem isn't with the words themselves or what God has said, but ultimately that rests with us. We should seek to better understand his words, better understand what he has said so that we can better apply it to our lives. We're all on a journey with it, aren't we? That much is true. And we will never get to the end of learning from God's word and about what he says to us. And the truth of the matter is, if we aren't sure about what it says in places, if we don't perhaps like what it says in places, we should seek to get to know it better. We should seek to look at it and say, these are God's words. He gave it to us for a reason. What does it mean? Dig a bit deeper. Seek the answers. Ask the questions so that we can better understand what he is saying to us. And all the, God's, and all the Bible's words are God's words is importantly what Scripture claims for itself. The Old Testament within itself claims it. The New Testament then confirms it. If we look at the Old Testament first of all, I mean, you go to the very start of the Bible, okay, and we read those words, and God said, Genesis 1 verse 3. And that pattern, and God said, is a pattern throughout not just the first chapter of the Bible, it goes right the way throughout the Old Testament as well. It's estimated, and I must admit, I didn't go through and check every single reference, but it's estimated that the number of times the Old Testament says, and God said, or and the Lord said, or some variation of that wording, over 1,900 times that is mentioned in the Old Testament, that God said specifically something. You know, I just used the first instance in Genesis to make the point. God is said to speak directly, and the pattern of the Old Testament is that he continues at multiple and many times to do so to people. And of course, it's not just that God is speaking as we read his word, but that in speaking, God also tells people what they should do. Again, you've got so many instances of God directing and commanding the people. You've got all those laws given to, to Moses for the people, for starters, just in the first few books of the Bible, Exodus to Deuteronomy. And when God says something... It's specific. It's very specific. I'll tell you, for example, just the first of the Ten Commandments in the Bible in Exodus chapter 20. Moses relays for the people what God has said to him, and we read, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. He identifies himself out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God speaks and he says what the people should do. It's specific. And because it's from God, it comes with authority. An authority that you don't find with any other book. 
The same will be true of other parts of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, Again, this is just a whip through, really, of what we're looking at. Uh, Jeremiah, another prophet, as an example, told by God to speak his words to the people. It's one of those examples where we read phrases like, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah 1 verse 4. He follows it on in, 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 by saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And then you have his book. What God instructed Jeremiah to say. And we have it in written form. Uh, later in the same chapter, we're told in verses 9 to 10, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. It gives an idea of the power of this word, what it is capable of doing among people. But you see what I'm getting at? You see what I'm getting at amongst it? The Old Testament in many places claims to contain the words of God written authoritatively for us. Now, to include it all, you have to go to the New Testament. It isn't absolutely cleared up until the New Testament. We get, you know, God says this and and the Lord says this. The word of the Lord came to me. But we can already gather that from just the Old Testament, God is speaking and people need to be listening. That's the point of Scripture after, after all. But get to the New Testament, and it gets even clearer than that. We get this confirmation that everything in Scripture is God's Word. Uh, we get told in Hebrews 1 verse 1, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. We get told it is is specifically from God himself. 1 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God would use different people to share his word. The Bible has got over uh, four, around 40 authors in total. Forty people whom God revealed his word to, who then wrote it down and were able to share it. And the incredible thing about the Bible is, is that even with 40 different people, when you actually read it and read it through, there is an incredible consistency to what you read. Forty different people... And you, you don't find them contradicting each other or something happens in one place and a promise is made and then it doesn't take place later on. There is a consistency to the whole of the Bible. God was speaking, the Spirit was leading, and he knew what would come to pass. And we receive, receive what he is saying. Now, that what we read early, earlier on that Barbara read for us, we get conclusive evidence from Paul when he writes those famous words to his fellow worker Timothy. All Scripture, he said, is God-breathed. There's the breath of God again. God-breathed, and we receive it. And, you know, Paul, Paul was a Jew, of course. He was Jewish. The scripture he had in his hand 
was the Old Testament. That was what he had. The New Testament was still being written. And he says all of it is God-breathed. It's all God's words. You can't discount any of it. You can't snip out the bits that don't fit with modern sensibilities, but you seek to understand them. You work to find out what it meant for them back then, what it now means for us today. But all of it is God's word and reliable. Uh, What of the New Testament itself? Well, Paul's words do cover that too. All scripture is God-breathed. He would have had in his possession already some of those letters that were being sent out by, by different people. But we get further proof from something Peter writes in his second letter in the New Testament. And by the way, I think what Peter says is hugely reassuring for all of us. (laughs) Uh, You'll see why in just a moment. If you find Bible reading tough at times, well, thank goodness for someone like Peter. We're very grateful for Peter, aren't we? We feel like we have an affinity with him. But Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Yes, very true, isn't it? Which ignorant and unstable people distort. As they do the other scriptures. Important little phrase there, as they do the other scriptures. You've got Peter, contemporary of Paul, saying Paul's doing all this writing. He's writing these letters, and he's putting them on par with the other scriptures. and saying, this is God's word. This is what God is saying to us. And of course, reassuringly, he says some of what Paul writes is hard. It's tough to get to grips with. He's deep. It could all be distorted by people, he says, just as they do the other scriptures. Uh, The claim is also made about Jesus' words, just to to put Jesus' words in there as well. Where Paul quotes from Luke 10 in 1 Timothy 5 verse 18 and says the same thing. Basically, he was affirming that what Jesus said was also Scripture. So so you can see what I'm saying throughout it all. All of the Bible is God's Word. There's nothing more. There's nothing less. We can't pick and choose, even if we have to search deep to understand it at times. This is what God has said to us. And of course, thinking about God himself, it's really important, isn't it, that we remind ourselves that God always speaks the truth. He always speaks the truth. His words are always trustworthy. Uh, Titus 1 verse 2, we're told about God who does not lie. God is truth, the Bible would say elsewhere. It's not as if God was, um, you know, just telling us a few things that, you know, uh, might make us feel good or whatever. He's not, he's not telling any, any lies in the, in the Bible to manipulate us or gain control over us using all sorts of unnecessary commands that we don't need to hear about. And he just wants to add them in because that's because he want, what, what he wants to do. 
None of that at all. He speaks the truth. He speaks what we need and we can trust it. Jesus says in a prayer to God in John chapter 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It's truth and it's true. God doesn't lie. We can trust him. Now, some people will say, and you'll hear this, some people will say, yeah, okay, but uh, I'm not sure about this Bible. <laughs> Isn't it all full of contradictions? Doesn't it contradict itself? Um, doesn't it have errors in it, as some claim it to be? Well, Here's what Psalm 12 says about it. This is what God says about his word. The words of God are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. The words of God are flawless. They're without error. That's what God claims about his word. And when we read it, we see that to be true. You know, when someone says... But the Bible is full of errors. You know, it's got contradictions in it. I like to employ a little bit of wisdom that I heard years ago, which is simply to reply to people who say that, where? You know, where are the contradictions or the errors? Which ones do you mean? Because it gets the nub of the issue that if someone you know is going to claim there's errors or contradictions in the Bible, they've got to be able to show where those contradictions are. Point them out. Otherwise, it's just a, a throwaway statement with no basis. Where are they? Then we can talk about them. And I'll just say this. Uh, no time for detail on this. Ask about any of those things if you want. But I don't know of any supposed error or seeming contradiction in the Bible that cannot be given a reasonable explanation. A reasonable explanation. You might have to dig a bit, <laughs> but explanations are there for any such things. Let's talk about it. Let's see what it really says. We want this to be helpful. But God's words are trustworthy, ultimately. All, all his words are true, and they are without error or contradiction, is the fundamental point. Now, why else can we trust the Bible? Well, it's a, a hard question to answer, because when you've got a book that claims supreme authority for itself, it's very difficult to find another authority that would back it up because it claims it is the ultimate authority. And so what it says goes. So it's very difficult to have the discussion with people because it's kind of pigeonholed in one direction, particularly if others don't think that it is the authority that it claims for itself. But what can we say? Why can we trust that the Bible is what it says it is? Well, first of all, 
that it's the Holy Spirit's work. Um, you know, th- that's what the Bible says. As we read it, it says, as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, gradually we grow to see that it is true, that it is God's word for us. It's the experience of the Scriptures. It's why Jesus would say to his disciples as he was um, going to be leaving them shortly, he tells them, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's saying we get to see it as true as the Holy Spirit leads us into the truth. God says it will happen. I know it's partially, again, an argument from our experience. We do, in asking the Spirit for its help, grow to understand more. That's the dynamic it works with. Uh, We hear Christ's voice, John 10, 27. We hear his voice as we read. Jesus said, my sheep, those who follow me, those who have come to faith in me, those who believe and trust in me, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I think we would, again, say that's true from our own experience. There's something about the remarkability of this book that when we read it, we experience Jesus speaking to us of his love, of his care. Something, do you get it when you know, your heart just becomes warm sometimes as you read and get reassured by what the scriptures say? Why? Because it's Jesus speaking to us. We hear his voice and we follow him. Now, if you do want outside evidence, well, a couple of things can be said. First, history affirms its truth and consistency that there is no archaeological or historical evidence that has ever been found to fundamentally undermine anything in the Bible. That's important. Now, there's a lot more out there that's yet to be found, of course. There's a lot more they're looking for. But what they have found has only sought to back up what the Bible says, helping to inform our understanding. And sometimes it has really informed our understanding about where places are, where people thought they might have been, but then they've found something else, and they found it's in another location, for example. It's really helped our understanding. What about the manuscripts? Those get mentioned from time to time. You know, the manuscripts, oh, they're just copies upon copies, and surely there's errors in them. Well, do you know what? The Bible itself has far more and far earlier manuscripts than many other ancient texts have got. Far more, and far earlier as well. Much closer to the time of the original writings Those other ancient texts are accepted as reliable forms, even though we've only got copies from hundreds and hundreds of years later. The texts themselves say that there is an accuracy to this, that they've not lost anything along the way. As I said earlier, the Bible is internally consistent. It's an incredible book. You read a prophet 700 years before Jesus' birth, says something about the coming Messiah 700 years later, whom, you know, years, centuries later on. 700 years go by, Jesus arrives, and exactly what the prophet says 
takes place. There's an internal consistency to it. Incredible, given it was written by about 40 different people at different times. It's as if they had an author to draw from. And finally, it also simply makes sense of life. It just does that. You know, you can read the Bible and discover why the world is such a messed up and difficult place to live in. Why we experience pain and heartache. Why we need a savior and where we can look for God's promises towards us. Millions, billions in fact, literally billions of people over two millennia have found light and life and truth and peace among its pages. That's not a coincidence. Why? Because it's God's word. It's a book like any other written to us and for us to help us because God has spoken and ultimately he knows what is best for us. So we can't ignore it. It is central and primary. And just in case, if you've got sort of questions on the sort of historicity and the, the text and questions about, you know, can we really trust the Bible? There's a great little book that um, you, you will have seen probably some of the books on the display at the back there. Great little book by um, uh, Barry Cooper, uh, the, Can I Really Trust the Bible? That's called, just a very short one. Um, there's also uh, a few copies of this one, which I, I, I really like this one, The Case for Christ. If you've got people who really want to dig into this and to see whether the re- a case can really be made for Jesus Christ, looking at the text, looking at what the Bible says, this is written by a guy who was an investigative journalist, not a Christian. His wife became a Christian, and he thought, well, I can't just ignore this. I've got to look at, him, look, look at it for myself, even though I'm a skeptic. He looks at all the different topics to do with the Bible itself, the New Testament, did Jesus rise from the dead, went through it with experts, he came away from it and became a Christian himself. So there you go. An amazing story, that's what he found, the case for Christ. And there's a few copies, actually, that if you want to take one away, you know someone who might, that might be useful for, you can take uh, one of those away. There's a few at the back there. But we can trust the Bible. Uh, it's, it's a powerful word. Second, it's a powerful word. It transforms li- lives. It just, let's just look at its power before drawing out a few applications. Because it's all fair enough, isn't it, to know that the Bible is God's Word, but if it doesn't make much of a difference, then what's the point of having it? And there are all kinds of stories of people wanting a copy of it, because through it, they can, of course, get to know God and His ways. I mean, there's that famous story, isn't there, of, of Mary Jones... You might know that story. The young Welsh lady in the 1700s, not long after Bibles were being printed, the first ones in English were being printed, who longed to have a copy of the Bible to read for herself. And although she was from a poor family who didn't even have enough for for some of the essentials, she didn't even wear shoes, she saved and saved to just get enough to buy one and then walked 26 miles barefoot to the nearest shop that was selling one because she wanted it so badly. 
There's something about this book that is different from any others. Or take the work of Bible translators today. People like those at the Bible Society or the Wycliffe Bible translators who continue to painstakingly work through uh, the Hebrew and Greek text to produce accurate translations of the Bible for people across the world. For some, it's a life's work that they put into doing that. Why do they do it? Because they recognize that this book is a book that changes lives. For those who are at their lowest ebb, you hear stories of people who have struggled with addiction or shame. Those who feel hopeless and helpless. Those who have picked up a Bible and light has shone into their lives. Because it's a book that has the power to break chains, to face giants, to stir hope in the hopeless and give strength to the weak. And it's why we take time on a Sunday morning to get to grips with what it says. You know, it's why when, when I would visit people in, in, in hospital or, or similar, I ask them, is there any passage of Scripture you want me to read? Is there anything you would like me to read from the Bible? Because the Word of God changes things. Even just our perceptions and thought processes, if we would let God do His work as we read it. And that is absolutely what the Bible says. It powerfully works in and on our lives. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It does something in here as it challenges and convicts us. It gets to a place that no other book or writing can touch. It gets to our hearts because it's God speaking to us. Just in that still, small voice as we read it. It is alive and active. Uh, implied by what we've already said, but it's fully trustworthy for life, faith, conduct, and everything else. As the statement says, fully trustworthy. We can go to it and with some digging, find answers or principles to anything, to any question in life that we may have. It informs how you live. You only have to remember the little bit that Paul was explaining in 1 Timothy, um, that Timothy knew how Paul had lived, how God had changed him, how he had granted him purpose and faith and patience and love and endurance, the ability to stand firm in persecutions and sufferings. All of it is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It equips us, teaches us, challenges us, and changes us. And what that also means is that, of course, obeying or disobeying the Bible means obeying or disobeying God. That's the crux of it. That's our choice within it. 
You know, as we follow and say yes to what we read, so we are saying yes to God. But if we're reading and saying no or disobey it, we're disobeying God. That's the dynamic involved. You know, just because I say something from the front of church, and hopefully, you know, hopefully I have looked into it and, uh, and thought it through, and uh, I look at what other authors say as well. Um, it all feeds in for people who've got bigger brains than I have got. Just because I say it, though, doesn't mean you shouldn't go and check it out. You absolutely should. You should open the Bible and say, is this actually what it's saying? Is this really what it's saying? Has, has Chris got it right? Have this, has anyone else that I hear teaching on the Bible, do they get it right? We should check it out. But the Bible itself is God's Word. It doesn't get things wrong. To obey or disobey it is to obey or disobey God. And we remember that in our lives. That's our challenge, isn't it, as we read it? That's why we have to work with repentance. Because God challenges our sin. He doesn't let it lie and neither should we. We should seek to be obedient to this word as we read it. Because he has given it. And then we mustn't add to or take away from God's word. And there are warnings in scripture about that too. Deuteronomy 4.2 Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. This is the word the Bible says. Walk in it. The very last book of the Bible, Revelation, uh, in Revelation chapter 22, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to the person the plagues described in this scroll. If anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. It's a firm warning, isn't it? It's a very clear warning that we're given. This is the word. We're to walk in it. Don't add to it. Don't take anything away from it. Because it's God's. It's his authority for us. And so how does this truth shape us as we come to closing? Uh, how, how does it shape us then? Well, first of all, a uh, fundamental point I've said already. When we, we can trust that when we read the Bible, we're hearing from God. Nothing less than the voice of God is speaking to us. That means we should listen to it, take time over it, include it in our days. Think about it at work. You know, if, if a Christian comes to me and says, I'm not growing in my faith, one of the first things I might ask is, are you spending time in God's words? Are you reading it, what God has said to us? We shouldn't just rely on Sundays to get our fill. It's a week and a life. But we need to because Bible reading leads to a deepening of faith, understanding and relationship with God. You can't hope to get to know Him better unless you take time to get to know him better, to listen to what he's got to say. He already knows everything about you. <laughs> We've got so much we need to learn about him. I like that quote at the bottom of the handout from William Tyndale, that in the Bible, a child can paddle and an elephant can swim. Like that. And it's true. 
We never get to an end of what it tells us. Then the Bible stands above cultural changes and modern assertions. That's really important in today's word. If this is God's word, it isn't going to chop and change to suit people's assertions and sensibilities. Yes, every generation has to work out what the word of God says in their generation. And how we apply it may look slightly different as the world uh, changes. But the fundamental message... The teachings, the morality of it, the ethics, the approach, they simply don't change with passing seasons. It is a firm place to go. We should not compromise it. We should not lose that sense of the authority of what it tells us because it's all God's word. But of course, alongside that, the way we handle truth influences how it receives at the same time. I put truth with love on the handout. You know, that's not to say the way we handle God's truth doesn't matter. We believe it to be true. We're to shed light with hope, though. We're to shed truth with love. Yes, believing that if God has said it, it is right and good for us, but also meeting people where they are at in order to lead people to a better understanding of the truth. That's what we try and do. The way we do that often influences how that truth is received. So it has to be with a firmness, yes, but seasoned with grace seasoned with grace we're far more likely to win people for christ if we speak the truth but speak it with love and lastly and it is lastly let's simply make the bible a priority because it is central it is true it is life it's what you'll hear in this church week by week because it's our conviction it's my conviction i hope it is yours too we believe in the divine inspiration and supreme authority of the Old and New Testament scriptures, which are the written word of God, fully trustworthy for faith and for conduct. And so let's pray now that as we go into a week ahead, as we open up his words and take time to do so, that he would speak to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you didn't leave us to our own best guesses in life. Thank you, Lord God, that you knew we needed more of your revelation. We needed something in black and white to guide us, to lead us, and to help us. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the life the hope, the assurance it brings to us. We thank you for the salvation message which it so clearly displays in Jesus Christ. The salvation available to all who would believe. Thank you that we can trust your word. That as we read it, we do see the very words of God displayed. Your words to us. Your words about how we are to live our lives. Your words about who you are. 
your purpose for this world. And so help us, we pray, to be a people who not only seek to understand and grow in your word as we read it, but who all the more are obedient to it, because it is your word, and you only want good things for us. So help us, we pray, and help us to keep it central. In your name we ask. Amen.